You're listening to Conversations with Cal, the official podcast of the Sydney Swans. That's right. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Callum Sinclair, and a big shout out to everyone last week who tuned into the podcast, particularly the one with with Ted Richards. We had a uh, Plenty of laughs uh, when that episode dropped. Everyone's feedback has been super, super positive. Big thanks to Ted also for uh, giving up his time and, and sharing what he's been up to. Before we start today's podcast, I've uh, got a very special guest. Just want a big shout out and a big thank you to QBE Insurance for coming on board and sponsoring the podcast this year. Uh, 34 years in partnership with the Sydney Swans, I believe it's the, uh, the, the number one... Uh, length of partnership by any sporting team in Australia. So thank you guys for for coming on. Today uh, I'm going to have a conversation with another past player. He uh, he's achieved a ton over not only his footy career, but but even more so uh, even when he retired uh, in 2013. 325 senior games and he walked away from his career with two premiership medals. Great pleasure to introduce today to the podcast, Jude Bolton. Thanks, Jude. Hey, Cal. Good to be on the uh, on the this uh, this podcast, mate. Well, mate, you've been hounding me for for a couple of years now to get on. So, I know I can't believe you went Ted Richards before me. I mean, if you, if you want to talk about uh, a bit of honey and a bit of extra uh, juice <laughs> on any stories, don't worry, go for him. I guess exactly right, mate. How, how did the, the resume go there? Ted got a little bit filthy at me last week because uh, I, I read out his. His resume, and um, I didn't mention that he was uh, the he got a, a tool of the week back in the day. So, uh, any unusual I, awa- any unusual awards stand out for yourself? Oh, so I'm not I'm not in the Ted Richards category. I mean, the fact that he, he's had a tool of the week and a golden fist, I think there's he's just uh, in rare in rare air to be honest. But um, oh, no, I I was I was most fined at the footy club uh, back in the day, and. Uh, uh, for one year, and that was when I actually lived with the fines master, who uh, is now the coach of the Adelaide Football Club, Matthew Nix. So I copped a lot when uh, when he was the fines master one year. I think you, me, and you might get along pretty well because I cop a fair few fines. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any fines stick out in your mind? Oh, One, no, ones that are appropriate to share. And, uh, mainly, mainly, you know, every time, you know, like a, a stupid photo goes in the paper or something like that, I cop it. Like so, the boys are just bring up uh, everywhere and, and then they'd, they'd even, you know, someone had stitched me up and even send it into Spotted or something like that, like just <laughs> so they could stitch me up. So I just, we're just constant fine. Oh, mate. Well, I, I always feel they, they always find the good looking blokes, mate. So I know how you feel. <laughs> Oh, mate, good, good, good company. Well, mate, I'm, I'm chatting to you, uh, yes, over the phone, but I can see you on Zoom also. You've got a beautiful backyard there, a bit of greenery, um, probably very different to a lot of people in Sydney. They're cooped up in uh, in apartments and whatnot. So how are you coping with isolation, mate? Yeah, not too bad, obviously. I've got uh, my wife, Lynette, and I, we've got two young daughters, so eight and six, um, Ciara and Piper, and you know, we're, yeah, we're pretty lucky. I mean, we got just, all the grass in the background was uh, was bone dry when all the water restrictions through the the fire period of the summer, so it's all burst back in, which has been good. But yeah, lucky enough to have a little bit of backyard so the girls can run around. And I think they're just uh, I'm probably just trying to adjust to it, doing all the homeschooling and stuff like that for the girls. It's uh, pretty full on. I didn't realise. Uh, you know, I'd probably probably fail grade three maths at the moment, <laughs> mate. What, what are your strengths in the homeschooling with the subjects, mate? What, what's your um? What are your strengths and what are your uh? What, what do we call them in the uh, in AFL KPIs? Our, 
uh, your improvement areas? Oh, look, I think I'm strong in the arts and crafts. My mum was an art teacher, so I'm pretty creative. Like, just get out there and, you know, put a little uh, diorama together and uh, create something or, um, and then a little bit of, obviously, the physical side of things. But uh, I've been enjoying teaching um, our little one to read as well. So um, I, I know we're just trying to entertain them in any any facet. So I even did a bit of a hip-hop class the other day with my oldest daughter. So, yeah, anything to keep them entertained. Yeah, well, a lot of people are working from uh, from home, mate. Also, and Ted spoke about missing his uh, his commute to work and missing the office environment. What about yourself, mate? With work, are you can you see yourself longer term uh, working from home? But by the looks of this Zoom call, it look, looks like a very nice place to uh, to, to to shack up in the office. <laughs> no, I mean, having worked for um, a US software company, Domo, for a long time, we've um, we actually have been able to uh, work from home here and there, so. Um, it wasn't too much of a concern getting used to working from home. But then um, I think just probably previously the kids have been at school. So when they're climbing over you in the middle of a Zoom call with clients or, or uh, customers, it's, uh, it's always a bit tough. But, I mean, I just miss the footy. I think uh, having been involved in commentary and, you know, we, we obviously did round one uh, with no crowd. It was so bizarre that first round. And then just to see it taken away. And I think that's what everyone has realised, how much we miss, miss, the, miss the footy. Well, well. On that note, mate, how are you? Um, how are you going on with on more of a deeper level with with what's going on in the world at the moment? I know none of us are none of us are expert, experts, but it seems quite relevant that we've got to quite um, have a chat about it, particularly on this podcast. You know, we're, we are a, a hard hitting news uh, media outlet here at Conversations <laughs> with Cal. So, can you maybe um, I don't know what's your take on everything at the moment, and what are you doing to um, to do your part? Yeah, I think um, I think it's just probably been so alarming uh, what's happening overseas. I think uh, uh, we've obviously made um, good good uh, inroads in terms of trying to flatten that curve. But uh, you know, I've got friends in New York and they're on complete lockdown. You know, we've seen some of the images out of Italy and, and Spain, and that's it's just super scary for me. I, I got a bit anxious a few weeks ago because I mean, I've got a 94 year old grandfather, Harold Blake, and you know, he's down in a nursing home in Victoria, and, the, and elderly parents as well, and. I, I sit there and go, now what if actually something happens to those guys and I don't get a chance to see them? It's you know that's probably my sort of concern and you know, just the nearest and, and dearest and and that's from you know friends and family and um, you know everyone. I, I just sit there and think we've got a, we do have an aging population, so we need to be looking after everyone. Well, I'm in the same boat as you. I've got two mates that are that are actually living in New York also, and I'm FaceTiming them uh, every three or four days. They're actually my two best mates from school and. Um, Oh, it actually does show, you know, everyone talks about New York as this um, amazing place, but it actually really does show how amazing it is to live in Australia because, you know, we've all got big, wide-open spaces and we're not confined to an absolute shoebox like they are over there. That's it. They're, they're complete lockdown and, you know, in the little apartments. I mean, that not being able to get outside and um, just do the things you really enjoy. And I, I, That's where I probably tried to get up early and keep fit and just do something each day, but um, it's just hard with the kids crawling up the walls as well well mate enough about covid but let's have a chat about yourself mate you're um i quite i quite enjoy and a lot a lot of our listeners have kind of mentioned that they like enjoying hearing about what the ex-players are up to in their time and a little bit kind of about their career transition so jude what are you doing with yourself now i think you retired at the end of you can correct me if i'm wrong but the end of uh 2013 yeah, that's correct. Yeah, we um, finished in the prelim final against Fremantle uh, that year. So, um, yeah, been, I guess I was pretty lucky that it, 
I sort of transitioned reasonably well into into post life um, or post footy life and got into a bit of media. So I do a bit of it with uh, Triple M and ESPN and, and Channel Seven. Um, obviously, a lot of those sort of grind to a halt when the footy finishes, but um, lucky enough to um, be part of the uh, Dead Set Legends. So we did that each Saturday for Triple M, um, and then uh, work in software as well. So um, sort of enterprise sales rep for, for Domo. So. You know, we've been been pretty lucky to have a sort of bit of a balance, um, and and obviously a father and uh, those sort of things. So it's enough enough on the plate still, and I guess that's where I sort of just probably focusing on making sure we're all healthy and safe for this period because it gets pretty chaotic with uh, with footy and juggling everything with life. So when you finished your last game, did you did you think that was your last game? Yeah, it was. I, I probably snuck out a lot another year, Cal. I think. Um, uh, I think a lot of people thought I was going to retire after 2012, and it was such an amazing year um, to play in the grand final and win with the boys and things like that. Um, and I, to be honest, I probably yeah could have retired then and been really comfortable. But I just, you know, I've heard a lot of people say you are a long time retired. If you if you think there's going to be an itch, don't give up on it because you know I know now it's it's very different without footy. And um, even though I'm still involved in the game in, in a commentary sense. You just miss that competitiveness and the camaraderie, all the all the boys and all the stories. That's what I miss. Well, there'll be a few stories coming out in just a little bit, mate. So, so don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll have you a flashback, but I do want to talk a little bit about your current career. You obviously said you're working in um, for a software business at the moment, but um, I guess I want to know how your your transition into media is. How did you develop an interest in that, and and what was that something you were doing pretty heavily whilst playing footy? Yeah, it was. I think I probably learned early on that you just need to put some time into what you'd want to do afterwards. Um, I you know, heard some of the stories of past players where they go, just use use your footy as a stepping stone. It's such a good stepping stone. Um, you know, you've spoken about the likes of QBE being a, a sponsor of, um, of, of the podcast. You know, the networks that we have through football are, are just phenomenal. Um, they're great relationships. And, um, you know, I think that's what I've been able to probably – uh, you know, go into footy after, or go into career after footy, and um, and just use those relationships and networks, and um, um, and and sort of foster a decent career, I guess. So, there'd be a number of players out there that probably have certain, you know, perceptions of the media, or or might struggle in the sense of kind of you know opening themselves up to to talking to the media. I, I'd, I'd probably be a person like that, probably in the early stages of my career, because my um, my perception of it was a little bit, oh, you know. You know, if you if you talk up in the media and then you play a pretty ordinary game, then they'll just kind of come after you. So, what's um, I don't know? Has your perspective kind of changed from coming from an athlete and then to someone in the media? It is. It does a little bit. I, I'm always mindful. You know, no one really knows what the players are going through day in day out, and um, you know, I've seen guys I've played with who have been able to compartmentalise what's happening in their lives and step out on the field and and get it done. And I guess I was a little bit like you. I, I, I was probably a bit more reserved around, you know, pumping myself up or saying stuff in the media because you do have to back it up. And, you know, um, now I, I guess in the media, you can shoot from the hip because there is not really, you know, much retribution apart from Twitter, which can be, you know, yeah. relentless at times. Um, but I mean, it is what it is. I, I want to make sure I'm always prepared, um, you know, commentating because I sit there from a player's perspective and think, you know, if someone's you know making a judgment about a particular player, well, I want them to have known and you know watched a couple of their games so they know how they're playing. Don't be just firing from the hip unprepared because 
Um, you know, people used to do that about the Swans, about our style of play when they hadn't really watched enough Swans games, to be honest. So I reckon over your career, I reckon you would have seen a massive transition in regards to um, media, in regards to, you know, social media, more access to players and clubs. Have you kind of um, – do you have much kind of empathy for, for the players these days in regards to what they deal with in, in regards to social media? Yeah, I, I probably saw it in my in my career, just the um, the build up of I guess social media and that extra pressure that goes on players. And I was probably at the latter part of my career when it started to come to the fore. And I think um, I I firmly believe um, you know my sort of era played in probably the best time in the fact that the money had come into the game a little bit, um, but you know you know you had that bit of notoriety, but you could also enjoy your footy as well and. We used to we we played hard and we you know drank as a, a group pretty often and um, but then we also just enjoyed each other's company and now that extra pressure of social media players getting off the field and wanting to know how they're viewed on social media how how do people view my game it sort of sends you in that lifestyle of being a bit of a roller coaster and it can you know it, it plays havoc on them in terms of the mental state as well as you know emotional state. I always find it quite funny because, you know, after a game of footy, you know, there'll be a lot of players that go line up at KFC or Maccas and get their, their weekly massive junk food hit after a game. But <laughs> but if they're seen at a pub, you know, having a glass of wine or one beer, they get absolutely hammered for that. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. I mean, that's where I think being able to sort of, um, you know, be able to socialise and, 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 and not go into that binge drinking state or anything like that when, when you actually – I don't know, I think you just need to learn those lessons pretty early on of being able to socialise with the boys, but do it in the right way. Um, how did you go commenting on, on your club? Because you transitioned quite quickly into the media. Did you, did you have any challenges in regards to commentating uh, your own club and your own teammates? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the hardest thing um, as a, comment, a commentator. I think at, at some stage you always have to, um, you know, put your opinion out there and it's going to be against the boys or against, um, you know, maybe the style of play or something like that. And I had one particular moment. Um, I think it was on game day for channel seven and, you know, it was good. He's final year and he started a little bit slow. I think he had a tough preseason um, that year. And they said, we want you to talk about, you know, how he's performing and things like that. And he, he had, had a pretty tough, uh, tough start of the year. And I think I've made the comment, look, you know, Maybe he's gone an extra year or something like that. We we don't know. Like, um, you know, and I was probably looking at it from my perspective. Like, I, I I sat there and said, you know, there was times where I thought about uh, had I gone an extra year or not. And sure enough, all the texts from the boys. I had Mac, Jared McVay, and you know, don't piss on an ornament of the club. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it is what it is. I mean, that's that's always the challenge. But uh, I mean, I say to Swans people, you know, know that I'm. Um, you know, red and white through and through, but I, I want to call it as I see it, and I hate sort of biased commentators. I don't, I don't like that at all. So maybe sometimes gone too far the other way and been a bit too harsh on the Swans. Did Goodsy ever follow up with you on that? No, I spoke to him. I, I spoke to him about that as well. You know, and he was he was well aware that we're always going to be put in a situation where yeah, you have to speak your mind. I think he knew where where I came from. So, but I did speak to him. Mate, did you pinch yourself when uh, your media career took you on Dancing with the Stars? Oh, uh, yeah, that was that was just a highlight. Um, yeah, look out. I'm very, you know, probably pretty embarrassed about where that all went at, at different stages. But then when I got to the end of it, 
I'd probably look back and think, you know, I should have actually just embraced it and enjoyed it. And I think uh, having done some other stuff since that time, that uh, ridiculous dancing shows and things like that, um, I've actually just thrown myself and enjoyed it because, I mean, life is pretty short. You know, I, I sit there with the girls, my, my two daughters, and you sit there and have a bit of a laugh about those sort of things. Mate, is the preparation for that show um, as hard as what they say? Like, run us through kind of the preparation for that show. Yeah, because you see some guys come out and absolutely butcher it, but you see some people go out there and you go, "Hang on, you must have actually put in a fair bit of um, a fair bit of effort for this." Mate, it's crazy work. I think they end up doing you know about sixteen to twenty hours a week minimum, minimum. I think, and I was doing some obviously some work on the uh, at that particular time, so trying to find that around, um, and, and then you know obviously they're there for a few weeks as well, so. It was it was really intense and um, you know it shows you can sort of pick things up pretty quickly. But I had two left feet as well, so I just sort of stumbled around and got got it done. I think they got a bit weirded out when you were tackling your partner to the ground. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was probably a bit uh, probably a bit rough handled at different stages. Well, what were the challenges that you did face? You know, you had probably uh, fifth. How many years did you play in the game after after all? Uh, 15 all up. Mate, what were the challenges that you faced kind of um, leaving the game? I think everyone kind of has a bit of um, – you did say that you were on probably the, um, the the easier transition side compared to most other guys, but you must have faced some sort of uh, – some challenges uh, leaving. Yeah, I think it's probably just adjustment to structure. I think when you're football, you sort of generally know what the weeks look like and how, that, how that's going to play out. I think also – I think about the feedback. I think um, I knew where I stood as a footballer throughout because I was getting feedback from my teammates, from my coaches, from the media um, around how I'm performing. In work sort of life, and I guess I've taken that sort of attitude into work a little bit, is it it can be very evasive. People don't know where they stand until a a mid-year review or something like that. So um, I think that's probably been a, a tough struggle, but I've tried to get into that sort of mindset as well of being how can we be better each day and I think that's what football teaches you some pretty good habits and on the flip side of that what are the things that your football career taught you that uh, that put you in good stead for, for your career after footy um, I think the resilience I think uh, resilience in the fact that you just get knocked down all the time and um, you just have to get up doesn't matter if it's injury doesn't matter if it's poor performance you got to be able to wipe it clean and say okay I'm going to back myself up and get right I think the other thing that teaches you is actually how to deal with people. You've, you've got 40 different personalities. You've got guys like Ted Richards. Uh, you've got guys <laughs> like Ryan, Ryan O'Keefe. You've got, you know, like some random units have played with over the journey as well. So, so Ryan O'Keefe. Um, I've never met Ryan, so he's, he's a random unit, is he? No, no, he's very straight down the line, very driven. <laughs> uh, you know, like you've got space cadets like Teddy. You've got all these that like uh, <laughs> I, I think, no, but that's what something in terms of footy, you actually go into a room and you go, how are we going to get the best out of each other? How do I work with? each other i reckon that's one of the best lessons in life is is that saying how do we get how do we get the collective moving forward when we're not always going to like each other or get on or whatever and we're very different but we've got to make it work shane mumford very different character (laughs) uh mate before we touch on your actual on-field football career i have spoken to um the world of social i know i've spoken to the world of social media and they're very very people some people are very very excited about about myself having a chat to you today and they've sent in a few questions if you don't mind me uh, asking um 
So I'm an open book. I'm an open book. Get <laughs> we'll see. I don't, there's a few things I'm not even. I don't know the answers to these. So uh, the first question comes from a fan at Nick Smith. Um, <laughs> uh, what's this I hear about the bucking bronco? The bucking bronco. Uh, so that was uh, a thing that happened in the off season back in the day. Uh, basically. Um, used to clear the dance floor. So one of the boys uh, sort of started it a while ago, but basically you just almost grab grab your crutch like that and you're, you're right in the middle of the dance floor and you'd basically see a dance floor part like you had coronavirus um, and sneeze in the middle of a dance floor. It just basically goes out. So, um, yeah, that was uh, not not some of my finest moments, but it did clear a few dance floors. <laughs> uh, the next uh, the next question from uh, from our Instagram listeners is from at Heath Grundy. Oh, nice. Yeah, uh, seems uh, at Heath Grundy. Seems like you have more hair now uh, than when you played. Please explain. <laughs> See, I, I, I've taken uh, a lesson in from Heath around uh, his his transplants from his uh, from his mono brow, and uh, I tried to get some here, and I think you know, look. I, I, I know I'm going to have to shave my head at some stage. One of my best mates, uh, Heath James, who was best man at my wedding, uh, played with the Swan, son of a Max James. He always goes, "Look, when you when that moment comes that I get to shave your head, just make sure you give me the opportunity." And, and actually, one day it did happen on Mad Monday. The boys tried to shave my head. Um, they so what happened was James. I got tackled by Barry Hall and Jason Ball at one particular stage. They had me. Surprise, you're still like walking. <laughs> like, basically, I got the, my arms were pinned, and then from behind the bar, Heath James emerges with the the uh, uh, the clippers and was about to shave my head. And <laughs> you know, when you hear about those stories where people find superhuman strength and lift up cars, yes. I was able to shrug, I was able to shrug Barry Hall and also Jason Ball off me. Because I was just a young man going, I'm going into summer, into off-season, I need my hair. That's how desperate I was. Our final question is from, oh, it's uh, it's it's at Nick Smith again. So oh, uh, he, he absolutely loves the podcast. Uh, can you ask Jude about the story of Craig Bolton and Brian McFadden? Brian <laughs> McFadden. Um, okay, so <laughs> that was, we were over in London and uh, I, I knew um, – Knew uh, Delta Goodrum back in the day, and she'd sort of she was seeing um, Brian McFadden at the time, I think, and she invited us to go along, and we ended up being in London, and uh, it turned up, and it was like they were shooting some film clip or something like that. Anyway, we Craig and I arrived, turned up, and uh, Craig found himself just talking with Brian McFadden, and he, <laughs> he basically said to him, he didn't know who he was. And he goes, oh, so you've been to Australia before? And, and Brian goes, yeah, yeah, I have. I have, actually, a couple of times. And he goes, oh, really? You've been? Oh, yeah. He goes, oh, look, I, yeah, I've been out there, travelled and played some songs and stuff like that. And he's, he's going, what, you were in a band, really? And he, oh, fantastic. It's like he just thought he was some person working on Delta's <laughs> uh, film clip. Anyway, <laughs> and he goes, did you, did you actually play in any good venues? And he goes, yeah, like the entertainment centre and like all of, like some of the luck. And Craig just couldn't believe it. He didn't realise that he was actually talking to, to Brian McFadden and then we had to had to let him know later on. It was pretty embarrassing for him. I've, uh, I've actually never met Craig, but from all reports, he's quite an intelligent fella. Mate, he is one of the 
super, super smart, man. He's, um, he's high up in Apple over in the, uh, over in Silicon Valley. Um, just one of the most genuine humans. He's a, a legend. Mate, thanks very much for, for sharing the, um, those stories. And thank you very much to, uh, to our Instagram listeners. Keep sending in your questions. Uh, uh, we've only got two. Nick Smith and Heath Grundy seem quite active in this space at the moment, mate. So. Mate, well, we love our passionate listeners of uh, conversations with Cal, so it's great <laughs> to hear from Nick and Heath. Uh, anyway, mate, let's talk a little bit about your football career. Uh, 1998, you were pick eight in the national draft. Have you, uh, have you ever been to Sydney before and what was your, kind of your first experiences coming to Sydney? So I'd been to Sydney once before, would you believe, and the first time, first and only time, was to play on the SCG. I played for the Calder Cannons. We played against New South Wales ACT Rams in a curtain raiser. It was pouring rain. Um, Sydney were playing St Kilda, and uh, I actually played on Lenny Hayes that day. He was playing for New South Wales ACT Rams. So that was my only ever experience, and then got drafted to the Swans. And, you know, to be honest, I was sitting there going, I don't know, what it's going to be like. I moved in with uh, with Rowan Wharf and uh, and Ryan Fitzgerald, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Fitzy, so <laughs> Fitzy was M- Fitzy was MC at my wedding. Uh, he's, he's a legend. Uh, any, are there any, any housemate stories from Fitzy? Because we're actually trying to get him on the podcast, but he uh, he hasn't replied to any of uh, any of mine or the club's uh, direct messages on, on uh, Instagram. <laughs> oh, happy to put you forward, mate. Um, but uh, he'd be a ripper housemate. Yeah, look, there's a reason why I couldn't get a kick in the first two or three years. So I lived with Fitzy <laughs> for about three years, uh, three or four years. And I mean, I used to drive it because when uh, Rowan Wolf moved out, so when Fitzy and I were there first, Wolfie was there with his, um, I think his previous fiance, and then she would have moved out. She would have moved out about three months later because I don't think she could put up with Fitzy and I in the house. Anyway, and. Uh, um, Fitzy obviously had a lot of injuries during the period, but Heath James also moved in and uh, he had a, a lot of injuries. And I used to drive them into Paddington so they could go out the night before a game and they would be just drinking away. <laughs> and then I, I'd drive home and prepare for the game and things like that. But uh, but we used to have a lot of fun. Like uh, um, Wolfie, uh, Wolfie had this big dog, that uh, uh, a big rot wheel that used to sleep under our house. And it'd wake Fitzy up, and Fitzy would actually and it'd snore right underneath his bedroom in this this big rot wheeler. And Fitzy would walk out the back, and he'd go, "Boris, Boris!" And the dog would sort of work its way out, and he'd just stick his middle finger up at it just to try and wake it up and stop snoring, and then he'd run back to bed. But uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun back in the day. No, I, I, I'm very fascinated by not only first games but also first coaches as well. Now, your first coach at the Swans was was, was Rocket. Yeah. It was Rocket, eh? Absolutely. Um, you know, there's always uh, some funny stories about Rocket, but uh, we'll get to your debut game in a moment. But w- w- was you know, what was your your memories of being coached by Rocket? Oh, I think um, Rocket was one who really drove me hard. I think um, I, you know, obviously not everyone's cup of tea. Rocket, he could he could give a twelve out of ten spray, and I certainly was on the end of a number of those. Anyone that stands journey, out? But, oh. I remember one in particular. We uh, he was trying to explain a particular drill, and what what it needed to start was just a kick a kick onto a um, just the two guys up in a marking contest, and it was about a thirty five meter kick, really easy kick, just a little lob. And he said, "You know, Jude, just come out. Can you just lob it up here?" <laughs> and my kicking as you, my kicking as you know, Cal, was never uh, never terrific along the journey, but let alone when you're sitting in front of the boys and Rocket pulls you out the kick. 
Anyway, I, I've just, I just had to lob it up. Just a simple kick. I could do it a million times, but in that moment, I just shanked it, and he's just gone, would you just get off the effing field? <laughs> get someone who can kick. And like basically rip me. But, uh, uh, I mean, I, for me, I think I, I look back and, you know, he really drove me to, you know, prepare really well. Uh, he, I can remember him always. We used to do accountability drills where you have to man up on a senior player. Um, and he'd just go, you take Darren Creswell because he knew he'd bash me from pillar to post. Okay? Creswell had hit me in the balls. He'd stand me on, stand on my feet. Yeah. He'd just smash me. And it just pushed me so hard. So, um, yeah, I, I look back at those, those times pretty good. And, well. and what about your memories of your first game? So I debuted in that, uh, you'll know, Craig Holden uh, from... Crackers, yes. Always, Crackers always talks about uh, my first game and uh, says to the young guys, you know, uh, look what's happened after Jude's first game. Cause, so I, I sat on the bench for pretty much three quarters of the game at, uh, at um, Carlton's home ground back in the day, uh, off this oval there, or uh, just at um, uh, in Princess Park and um, came on. Got my first kick, uh, looked inboard. It was just on the wing, looked inboard, went for a little short pass, turnover, hit Fraser Brown on the chest and went down the ground for Carlton and Lance Whitnell had a shot on the goal. <laughs> the runner comes, out, runner comes out and it comes direct from Rocket and says, don't ever kick short again. And like sort of like uh, there was a lot of expletives in it again. So I, rec- I recovered to play a few more games. I reckon that'd be um- – my my advice to a first gamer: Whenever they get their fir- their first possession, never look to the corridor. Just never just look corridor. <laughs> never look corridor and just go long down the line, close to the boundary. Just just keep it safe. Just keep it safe. I know. Like I just tried to just bite off a little bit more than I could chew. <laughs> Mate, let's discuss the two premierships. You're an integral part of both 2005 and 2012. I'd love to know uh, your memories of these two occasions, and perhaps maybe you know the difference between them both because they're two quite iconic grand finals uh, in my opinion. I'm obviously biased and I'm a Swans player, but um, let's just start with 2005 and, you know, we, you know, you obviously, um, you walk, were you a, you know, a walk-up start to that game? Um, yeah, by that stage, I think it was 25 at that time and been playing for, for a considerable period. We've been through a coach in Rodney Ede and things like that. So I think I had a lot of, you know, respect for the game, but also, you know, a proven player by that stage. So, um, you know, I had a reasonable year throughout the year, but uh, my memories of just the whole build-up were just enormous. I can remember Mickey O'Loughlin sitting down and just saying to the guys, look, I was 18 or 19 when I played his first grand final as a, you know, uh, in 1996, and I just thought I was going to play in one every year. Don't take it for granted. It was 10 years later before he had his next opportunity. So we just uh, really you know, dug in at that stage. And, and there was a whole lot of build-up that whole year where you know Andrew Demetrio was talking us down around the style of play of um, the Swans. And we just weren't executing that well as a team. And we just took us a while to get going. But once we started to, to really gel as a team, we were a really formidable outfit. And But then still had to come up against such an incredible side in West Coast. So um, just epic sort of that whole qualifying final, grand final for two years straight. Wait, were, were, the, were the stories true about kind of your, I'm not sure if it was like your midfield setup or was your whole team set up around stopping Chris Judd? Is that, is, is, is that true? 
oh, uh, Chris Judd and Kerr and, you know, yeah. it was, I mean, a lot of it was, to be honest, a lot of it started around Dean Cox trying to limit his influence first and foremost. We had so much um, stoppage work to try and navigate that and, and obviously help the, the players, the defensive players like Brett Kirk and, you know, um, the following year, you know, Jared McVeigh and those types as well, trying to make sure we could limit the influence of those midfielders. And if, if Coxie, who's obviously you know, a terrific Swans coach now, when he was able to just hit it everywhere, it was diabolical. So, but those stoppage battles, you know, were just phenomenal. We'd have quite often Goodsy running um, head to head with with uh, Chris Judd, and um, you know, but we'd try and make sure we could, you know, stop him, stop it around there, and make sure that he wasn't breaking away and try and go through Goodsy as well. So, some amazing battles, um, you know, particularly the one on one through that period. What are you thinking, though, as a midfield group? I'm assuming you would have gone in there from occasion to to ruffle a few feathers. But coming up on guys like, you know, I love those kind of eras when you got to Scott, big names like Judd, Kerr, Cousins, Cox. What are you thinking when you're coming up against those blokes? I think that's what you play footy for. I think I, you know, used to love that thing of, a, you know, you've got to really test yourself against the best. I think... Um, Oh, it was, you've got to be so mentally on during the game. And, you know, if you think you, you think you might be getting on top, suddenly they'd break through. And we've had that, um, against those sides where they just, they'd bust us open and, and break open a game. But thankfully, you know, we had a really, such a good battle against West Coast throughout that period. And thankful that we, well, I guess we, we came back with one premiership each because it would have been devastated not to have snuck one in there. But, I look back at the games, particularly over in the West, where it's just that that 18 on the field and all the, just the deafening noise, and I'm just uh, thankful we're part of it. Mm. Now, you did mention, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the uh, the following year, which you probably don't want to talk about, obviously, too much, but it was obviously an amazing era of rivalry between, between both clubs. But 2006, you know, you've won the previous year, you, you, you're super keen to go back to back. You know, does, does, does that one still sting you? Oh, absolutely. I've never actually watched, sat down and watched the 2006 grand final, would you believe? So I, I know everywhere along the game where I failed and I let the team down, missing a couple of shots on goal. And I just I just remember us obviously, you know, getting a massive rev up at half time because we just weren't playing that well. And, um, you know, just to, to Think of the way Goodsy was trying to lift us during the second half and kicks the goals out of the out of the gates in the final quarter and, and we just couldn't get it done. And I think yeah, you know, we defended our premiership so well to the final moment, but just disappointing to, to not be able to go back to back and let the fans down. But but that's what grand final days are like as well. They are they're nerve wracking in the sense you wake up and think this could be one of the best days of my life or it could be could be one of the worst. And then and we've have had had an experience in that. Uh, fast forward 2012, you're part of another unbelievable win against the Hawks. Um, a real iconic grand final went down to literally the last few minutes of the game. Um, yes, it is a, uh, a team a team effort, but I do want to chat about your story in this game. I think it's really, really, um, basically really incredible about playing through injury, you know, what happened in the lead up to that game, when you kind of hurt your knee, if you could kind of maybe 
share a little bit of a timeline of, you know, what the weeks leading up to that grand final were actually like for you? Yeah, I, I guess um, I look back um, on both, uh, both 2005 and 2012, and I actually was pretty injured throughout the years of both of those. And uh, 2005, I did my shoulder. It still sits up. Um, an AC joint was separated there. And then um, in 2000, 2012, my knee went backwards at, uh, at Etihad Stadium or Marvel Stadium now. And um, it just, it, I, I can still remember going into our uh, our doctor's office, Dr. Nathan Gibbs, and Gibbs, he looked at the scans the next morning. And um, uh, I thought I'd done my ACL, but uh, he came in and had the words, it's hanging by a thread, there's still a chance. And... Um, we just basically rehabbed it really well with uh, with Matt Cameron, the physio, and the team, and they had to just try and build the confidence up in my knee. And I, I had so I had a partially torn ACL and partially torn PCL, um, but I was lucky enough only to miss three games. So strapped it up, and to be able to go back out and sort of you know still be able to contribute and and play in a grand final, it sort of you know talks about the, talk about that resilience before. I think they, they're the sort of lessons where you can still contribute and not let your teammates down, uh, but fight your way through it as well. Yeah. Just to get a bit more detail, like what's training like going into a game like that? You're obviously worried about kind of hurting your knee at training and there's obviously going to be other players, you know, on the playing on you in, in, in at training or in the sidelines thinking, you know, is Jude going to get up and, and I might come in and play? Like going into training, you know, and training in training not, you know, in the home and away season is pretty intense and full on, but particularly when you get to finals, you know, there's guys that want a spot. It's pretty full on, you know, do you, what kind of was going through your mind at training or were you even training at all? Yeah. So I, I, I was big on always possessions, nine tenths of the law. Once you're in the side, you've got to be so fierce in holding that spot um, and not letting someone else take your spot. And I, I knew that I had to fight my way back into the team um, after injuring myself you know, it is it is always a worry that you are going to miss out. I guess I had to have that that you know single focus to say, okay, I am right, I can contribute, and then I've just got to block it out and train as best as I can, as much as I can. It, to be honest, it was really limited training. I'd do a little bit on the Alter G downstairs, which is the the treadmill uh, at about eighty percent body weight, and then go out and do you know, some structured drills and, and a little bit of execution of uh, skill and then get off. So it was very limited training, but I wanted to make sure that I was still a part of it, still giving feedback to the teammates um, and still contributing. I think that's that's the main thing as, as a senior player particularly. Did you have any close calls, you know, leading up to games where you kind of felt like, oh, God, this ain't, gonna, this ain't feeling too great? Yeah, I, I did. I did. I think uh came back in and played um, – Sort of okay in some of the the, um, uh, the 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 semi-final and things like that, but um, I think once I was able to get some confidence in the knee, I just thought I, I certainly can play the role. And lucky enough to have a really you know good relationship with the coaches and the, the senior players that they could trust me and you know get out there and, and have an influence. So I mean that was such a such a big win by the team that day, particularly Hawthorne. I mean it's their home ground, the MCG, and um, you know, they were playing such good footy at the time. And um, I look back at you know, some of the efforts on that day, Marty Matner and you know, Ryan O'Keefe and those sort of players. It was just a really, you know, amazing team effort. 
I think around that time as well, you know, obviously 2012, I'm not quite sure what year this was, but you were towards the back end of your career. And I do remember, you know, being a spectator at the time, you, um, how do I put this? You kind of, I don't know, reverse age there for a couple of years. I think you were, you know, you're in your thirties and you laid or something like you had the, I think, I don't know. I'm not sure if you still have the record, but the most tackles in the season, was that something that was quite intentional? I remember, you know, the back in your career, there's a lot of commentary around, you know, Jude Bolton kind of not necessarily like reinventing his game, but I guess, um, came into a season, you know, where extremely fierce and kind of showed no sign of really retirement or, or aging at all. Yeah, I, I think um, that's where I look at off-seasons always uh, of, of the moment to reset mentally and physically. And um, I, I had certainly had some years at the back end where I'd probably plateaued at the age of 27 after those two grand finals, 2005-2006, where I was on the trade table a little bit and I'd probably dropped out of form. But then I reset myself mentally to say, I don't want to finish like this. I want to make sure I'm really playing good footy. And I think I... I firmly believe some of my best years are around that 29, 30 years old, uh, 31 even. Um, I think I kicked 20, um, 28 goals or something in my final year even as well. So try to recreate myself a little bit inside 450. And I'm big on the fact that players do need to just be able to change and adapt. I knew I wasn't going to get back in the midfield that often, might get thrown in for a centre bounce here and there. But how am I going to contribute inside 450? So I had to make sure I'm tackling well, maybe maybe shut down a, an offensive half back here and there, um, you know, take a mark now and then or just put some pressure on and just contribute. I think that's that's part and parcel of being an AFL footballer is how do I get my first game as a young kid? Uh, you might you might be a, a young midfielder or you might be a uh, a tall forward or some of that. Well you might that, that spot might be taken when you're first there. How do I get in and and you know find my first game? How do you become a, a senior player and a consistent player and then Latter years, how do I regenerate and uh, and still have an influence? Mate, I hope you don't mind, but we are going to just go back a little bit, and I'm going to test your memory to see how good you are. In 2000... How many concussions do I have, mate? <laughs> don't, go, don't, don't go back too far. I'm sure you're doing better than Teddy. You're fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In two, 2004, now, I'm a little bit of... Um, an international rules nuffy. Uh, not so much, not so much these days, but more probably um, back in the early two thousands when it was chaos. Like it was absolutely on for left, right, and centre. And I, I always love going back to those YouTube clips of just seeing it um, on bef- on before the game. Now you did play in two thousand four, uh, correct? Yes. Yeah, yep. and I do. Uh, I watched a bit of footage this morning of um, before the game. You were over there at Croke Park, and it was on. This is probably just more of a question for me. Just talk to me about how um, about what that experience was like, and it, there was an era of international rules uh, when it was just um, it was more more UFC than real football. Yeah, I, I look back fondly on the time we played over there. I, I think I was a bit like Stephen Bradbury. I don't think I was in the original uh, original side, but then a lot of blokes had fallen over, and I got an opportunity to go over there and. Uh, it was so much fun being able to circ, you know, be amongst, you know, just quality players and quality humans. And we were lucky enough to go over and be with the likes of, you know, James Hurd and, um, you know, uh, Matt, Matty Lappin, Luke Ball, and those type of players. But I, I did have a moment on the on playing on Croke Park where you you sort of pinch yourself. You go, we're sitting in front of seventy thousand people, and you know, 
one of the great traditions in the, um, in the uh, particularly in Ireland, is you actually get paraded before the game in front of the crowd, and they're going ballistic. Um, and there's a moment where a Jack Russell came onto the field, um, and it was on there for six and a half minutes, would you believe, in the middle of a game, and the crowd's roaring, thinking that Jack Russell, this little dog, is going to catch up with the ball. And I was chasing after the, the round ball, and there's a shot on the front of the Irish Times where Ty Keneally's chasing me. I go to pick up the ball, and this Jack Russell got in front of my legs and trips me up. It tripped me up, and I'm diving <laughs> on the front. It's just so embarrassing, and the crowd's obviously roaring, laughing, and that sort of stuff. But uh, good memories, just being able to, you know, be amongst those quality players. And then, as you mentioned, that it was just on at times. Like, it was ferocious. I mean, they're not used to the tackling so they weren't they weren't happy when you'd you know tackle them and throw them to the ground and the same guys that would almost headbutt you in the nightclub you know they're playing for free kicks as well. I guess what I want to know is, bro, is that during that uh, that battle, um, are you is the team like is it something that's kind of planned like oh when, when we get out there, boys, like let's just it's going to be on or is it just something that kind of happens organically when you're out there? Like I just want to know the mentality pre pre those games. Oh, I, I certainly think that is the strength of the you know professionals versus the amateurs in that sense is that the physicality they're not they're not used to the physicality so that was always an emphasis from the Australian team is you know get in there let's try and smash them early let's put them on and and I think that tension just builds it sort of it only needs one little spark and then it flares up and I, I probably didn't play in the the one that was. You know, battle of all royals. I think Chrissy Johnson. That was a, a year before, or after. I think it was a year after where it was. That was literally UFC. Like I, I missed that one, um, but I've certainly certainly YouTube it a few times as well. <laughs> I love seeing. Um, I love just seeing when it starts. You know, there's the Campbell Browns, there's the Chance Batemans going absolutely bananas, <laughs> and Barry Hall just comes in out of nowhere, and you kind of see the Irish guys go, "Oh, hang on a sec, I might just, uh, I might just pull okay. up here." And then there's also, and then there's also um, Adam McPhee in track pants running around trying to find someone, but no one comes to him. <laughs> it's, it's very fun, very fun. I've seen a lot. I've seen multiple groups. Spread like that as well when they see Barry Hall's engaged in uh, in the fisty cuffs. I've seen that down in Coogee a few times as well. <laughs> uh, for all the listeners out there, type in 2004 international rules and just watch Adam McPhee run around like a peanut. No one's going near him. He's trying to find someone, and he's in track pants, so he's obviously come from the bench or something. Come from the bench. And there's also um, warm up here. And there's also Mal Michael. He's holding two blokes in a bear hug. It's unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> Mel was a genius. So he was generally playing goals and that sort of stuff. He was just he was a freak. No. He was a freak. Like we've discussed, three hundred twenty-five senior AFL games, mate. Out of your football career, we touched on it a little bit before, but mate, what does it take for for a young football to play three hundred and twenty-five games? Because um, we do have a lot of kids listen to the show, and maybe some advice for a young footballer. Yeah, for me, it's just about preparation. Um, it goes hand in hand with being an elite footballer. But I sit there and go, you know, if you really want to invest in 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 yourself to make sure you're the best player you can be, um, you know, off season it is off season, but it should be just you know a, a physical rest in the sense that 
you're getting away from the bash and crash of footy. Other than that, you should be getting your head in to say, how am I going to come back each year to be better and better? And I you always used to sit there and look at some of the best um, best players who played long careers, guys like Adam Goods, Jared McVeigh, both played over you know, 300 games. And there was no reason why, like they, they trained every week, you know, they got out, got themselves right um, to play every week and they trained at the right intensity. So that preparation is critical. Um, it helped me in good stead um, because I knew I was I was ready to play a physical brand of footy week in, week out. And we've had also, we've mentioned Ted a few times, we also had Mickey O um, on as well. And a real consistent theme is around the, the story of setbacks, which probably comes back to your point around resilience and, and dealing with that. Like, are there a number of key setbacks that you can kind of think of in your career that, that kind of stand out? Yeah, um, I mean, I think, like, I had setbacks throughout my career, just things where, you know, you probably lose confidence in yourself and maybe, you know, you're on the outer and the side and things like that. But I think that those sort of setbacks and how you steel yourself to come back from that is, is crucial. Like, I think I've seen a lot of um, players across the journey, I think, I think it was uh, one of our um, um, uh, guys at the club did, counted up that I'd played with 119 players during my career, and they were the people who played in senior footy. So you could almost triple that with uh, sublist players or guys who played reserves and didn't get a game. Um, so the churn rate's massive. So how are you going to be a valuable commodity for the team? And that's I always looked at it like that. How am I going to be best value for the, the team? I knew pressure was one thing. I, I knew that I could try and set the tempo of the game by being really physical and around the footy. So, you know, that's that's the way I attacked it. And I had so many setbacks where maybe I'd lost a bit of confidence in myself. You just got to keep keep that confidence and keep um, keep remembering the ability and the reason why you were drafted in the first place. Ted, oops, sorry, I called you Ted. Far <laughs> out. <laughs> Hey. Sorry, Jude. You got both days. I've got to go tend to the. I've got to go tend to my bees out the back. The beekeeper out the back. Mount Coogee, honey. Mount Coogee, honey. Sorry. Mate, um, want to thank you for your time. It is a Sunday. I really do appreciate you coming on the show, and I'm sure all the listeners uh, are going to enjoy listening what you've been up to uh, on what is a real, real difficult time at the moment, and for you to. Um, to give uh, the listeners your time. Much appreciated. But on the current situation, any advice or final words from you? Oh, I think everyone just, you know, stay safe, stay indoors, look after your friends and family, um, but also stay connected. I, I think it's a, a physical separation. It shouldn't be an emotional separation. I know even in the last six or seven days, we've had, I've had uh, a mate's 40th birthday. We did that virtually. So we all sat there um, and did that via, via Zoom. Uh, we've had bingo uh, virtually. I played poker with a few mates virtually. And I think we're doing charades virtually as well. So stay connected with your community. Uh, obviously, we missed the footy, but uh, it'll be back soon. And when we when it's back, we burst through the gates and when we get the chance and um, support the Swans. Jude, thanks again for your time, mate. Stay safe and uh, take care of those girls in the homeschooling, mate. Very important role you've got now. Cheers, Cal. I think I'll be able to pass grade three maths now. I think I'm all right. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening and enjoy.